0: How many of you can remember when you were a kid? Now, if you didn't grow up in the church, you might not know this song, but do you remember the song, I'm in the Lord's Army? You remember that one? I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's Army. It's a tremendous song. It's a fun little song to sing. I thought about singing it tonight, but I don't have enough guts, so I'm not going to do it. I just quoted to you the, the lines there, but... There's an insight in that song that I think it's easy to overmiss in the fun of just singing or saying those words. And that is if the song says, I'm in the Lord's army, that says to us that we are in a spiritual battle and the battle is raging didn't say that I'm in the Lord's uh, retirement home or that I'm in the Lord's take-it-easy time or, you know, I'm under the Lord's umbrella so I can sit out under the beach. No, it says I'm in the Lord's army, and so that says to us that, uh, among other things, being a Christian is a battle, and that battle is not with flesh and blood. It is against principalities and powers, and it's against the devil, really, and that's what we've been studying about for the last several weeks, about putting on the armor of God so that in this battle, we can be victorious and we can come out on top. Now, we've talked about the importance of putting on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace and the uh, shield of faith, taking that up, putting on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, and what I thought I would like to do tonight, since we've already studied the armor of God, I would like to preach one more sermon tonight on spiritual warfare. And I want it to be very simple and hopefully very helpful for all of us tonight. I want us to think about how we can be a good soldier in God's army. Because if you're saved, not only are you a child of God, But you're in the Lord's army, and God wants you and He wants me to be good soldiers. And so, if you'll open your Bibles tonight to the book of Hebrews in chapter number 10, I want us to begin there. And I want to give you three things to jot down tonight that I think will help all of us to be better soldiers in God's army. And all three of the things that I'm going to say tonight begin with the word don't, D-O-N-apostrophe-T. And so, I'm saying it in the negative, but the positive is very, very obvious. First of all, don't retreat. Don't retreat. As we think about the pieces to the armor of God, the shield of faith, that's out in front of us, the breastplate, that's to protect our heart and our organs and our innermost being, as it were. But there's nothing in the armor that protects our backside. Did you notice when we were studying the armor that we didn't read about anything that protects our back? We read about things that protect our front. Now, why is that? Because God never intended for us to turn around and retreat and to run away from the battle. In life, when we have battles, God wants us to run to the battle, to run to the fire, not to run away. And if we retreat, What happens is we remove ourselves from underneath the protection of God. Now, in Hebrews chapter number 10, look with me beginning in verse number 38. Hebrews 10, 38. It says, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back or if anyone turns around and retreats, God said, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then in response to that, the writer to the Hebrews said, "...but we are not of those who draw back to perdition or to destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul." And so the Scripture says if we retreat, if we turn away when things get tough, if we drop out of the battle... First of all, God has no pleasure in that. God would be displeased. And it also says in verse 39, when it describes those who draw back, that they do so to their own destruction, to their own demise. And so, again, in this spiritual battle, no matter what you may be facing tonight physical illness, uh, fear, guilt, some catastrophe in your life, what, it could be a thousand things going on. In the midst of that battle, it could be discouragement, it could be depression. Because Someone has said discouragement is Satan's primary weapon. I don't question that one bit. But in the middle of the battle, instead of staying in here and fighting and doing all these things we've been talking about for the last few weeks with with all these pieces to the armor, if instead of fighting we turn around and we say, I'm going another direction, I tried this thing with God, it didn't work, and so I'm going to go another direction. Well, we're going to displease God, and not only that... We are going to remove ourselves from His protection because there's nothing to protect our backside. Now, I would say when I was about 15 years old, I heard a story that when I heard it, I just remember thinking, if that story is true, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard in my life. And I, I don't, I, it was, whoever told this in a sermon told it as though it is true or was true, but I'm going to tell it to you tonight, and I want to just say on the front end so you won't be sitting there like I was thinking, is that true? I don't know if it's true or not. I want to just tell you, I don't know if this story is fully true or not, but I do know this, when I was a teenager and I heard whoever, whatever preacher was preaching this tell that story, it made a profound impact on my life. And so whether the story is 100% true, whether it's a fictitious story to make a point, Only God knows that. But nonetheless, listen to this story and and at least use your mind to think about it. There was a man and his wife who lived in Louisiana. And they worked in some kind of a secular business. They had a good job, made a good living. And as time went by, they were active Christians, uh, very devoted to the Lord and to the church that they attended. And there came a time in this couple's life when they felt like God might be calling them to the mission field. And so they prayed about that. They talked to their pastor about that. They began to talk to others in positions of leadership who might could help, you know, place them on the mission field where they were supposed to be. And so they got pretty far along into that process. And finally, a particular location had been determined where this couple, where this family was going to be assigned. And so is the husband and father of this family began to do some research on this location, he noticed that among other things, this part of, it was some foreign country, and it was known for its poisonous snakes. And so that alarmed him because he thought, you know, I'm the provider and the protector of our family, and I do feel like God's leading us to be missionaries, but I, do, we have, I think they had, it was three children they had, and he felt like, I hate for my children to be raised where, you know, it's known for poisonous snakes. And so he talked to his wife about it, and she said to him, well, I don't want to be around poisonous snakes any more than you do, but if God's calling us to do this, God will protect us. But we have to be together in this decision. And so they continued to pray and they continued to talk. And finally, the husband said to his wife, he said, I just don't feel good about this because this location is not going to be safe. It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for our children. And I feel as the husband and father, a sense of protect, you know, that I'm supposed to protect our kids. And uh, and so I just don't feel good about us going. Well, they had decided that... The only way they would go is if they were both of one mind and one spirit, and since they weren't, they contacted the mission board that was going to be sending them to this particular place. They withdrew their name. They said, we just don't feel good about it. Too many snakes over there. People have been killed, and we don't feel comfortable about going. And so they declined. And he just kept working in his job, and she kept doing what she was doing, and, and time went by. And I'm sitting there, now. I'm 15 years old, right, when I heard this story. And I, the Whoever was preaching it, I know it wasn't my dad because I would never question one of his stories, but whoever was preaching this story had my attention. And the point he was making was, if God calls you to do something, you better do it. You would be safer on the mission field in an area infested by snakes if you were in the will of God than you would to stay at home trying to protect yourself out of the will of God. So this pastor was making his point. Back to the story, the couple declined, they decided to stay in Louisiana, and one Saturday afternoon, the father was going to go run some errands, and so when he, he got in his car and he was about to back out of the, uh, of the driveway there and, and, and then put it in forward and, and, and go out of the driveway and then uh, to run the errands. Well, as he was just getting his car started and just about put it in reverse, he noticed a very loud scream, a yell from one of his kids. And so it frightened him, and he looked in the, out the window, and his wife had kind of run down the hill of the backyard. And she said to him, to her husband, she yelled back, and she said, called his name and said, Come down here and help. Our son has been bitten by a snake. In fact, two of their kids had been bitten by snakes in this story. And so this particular part of Louisiana where they lived was not actually even known for snakes. Two of the kids had been bitten by snakes. Well, instead of putting the car in park and running down the bottom of the hill to help those two kids who had been bitten by these snakes, he kind of panicked and he put the car in reverse, backed out of the driveway just kind of in in a moment of panic. He wasn't thinking clearly. And when he did that, he ran over his other child. And the third kid was killed. And that was... When I heard that story... And the pastor who told it said... The family did not go to the mission field... Because they were afraid... The father was... That the kids would be eaten by snakes. And so they stayed home... To stay away from the snakes. And as it turned out... Two of their kids were bitten by snakes... Perhaps killed. I don't remember that detail of the story... And then one of the kids was run over when he backed out of the driveway. Now, again, whether that story is true or not, I don't know. But I know this. When I was 15 years old, it got my attention. And I'm a lot older than 15. I'm 48 years old now. And I never have forgotten that story. And it said to me... If God calls you to do something, you would be safer in the middle of God's will, even if there's danger surrounding you, than you would be to run away from God's will because you didn't want to be in the danger. Now, why is that story? Whether the story is true, the point is true. Now, what is, what is the point of that story? The point of that story is that man was in a spiritual battle. God called him and his wife to be missionaries. She was willing. He wasn't. And he, basically what he did, he retreated. God said, go that way. He went this way to stay away from the snakes. But when he retreated, he walked right out of God's protection on his life. And as a result, tragedy struck his family. And it is very, very sad. So I'm saying to you tonight, whatever battle you may be in, whatever you do, don't retreat. Don't turn around and run. Stay in the fight. Keep quoting those scriptures. Keep trusting in God's promises, and you will eventually be victorious. Now, point number two. Number one, we don't retreat. Number two, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. I think it's so easy in the Christian life to get distracted. Now, turn to the right, just a few pages, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to show you two verses here. Paul is writing to Timothy about... uh, the Christian life. And Paul uses different analogies to describe what it's like to be uh, a Christian. And he uses, for example, if you look in verse 5, it says, this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It, he uses the, the uh, metaphor of athletics. And he said, being a Christian is a lot like being an athlete. And he describes how it's like that. And then in verse 6, he uses the analogy of a farmer. He said, the Christian life's a lot like somebody who's a farmer. And he describes what he means by being a farmer. But back in verse 3, he uses the analogy that we're thinking about tonight, and that is of a soldier. And here's what he says. You, therefore, must endure hardship. That literally means you must share in hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so Paul said to Timothy, this Christian life, It's a lot like being a soldier. And as a soldier has to uh, go through some challenges and hardships, so will you. Verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself. I wish you'd underline those two words. Entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, remember, you're a soldier in God's army. And as a soldier, it is imperative that you not get entangled in things that would be a distraction to you. Because if you get distracted, you're not going to be a good soldier. I mean, you, common sense tells you that. If if we're in a fight, if we're in a war, and I have my uh, weapons and you have yours, and we're going out against the enemy, well, we better keep our eyes straight ahead, and we better be watching the enemy, and we better be knowing how to fight spiritually. But Paul said to Timothy, if you entangle yourself with the things of this world, you're going to be distracted, and if you get distracted, you will ultimately be defeated. Now, I listed out some things. This list list is not exhaustive at all, but I listed out some things that can be distractions to any of us, and let me just read some of them to you. Hobbies, houses, sports, stocks, cars, watching too much television, social media, shopping, traveling. None of those things are bad, but any of those things could be bad if they cause us to be distracted from God. And I've written it down like this in my notes. Anything that diminishes your love for God isn't good for you. Now, again, we can't just work all the time, and we can't pray 24 hours a day, and we can't read the Bible, you know, every waking moment, and God wouldn't even intend for us to do that. If we, if we read the Bible and prayed all day, you'd actually be a disobedient Christian because you'd be neglecting other responsibilities. In fact, I have a doctor friend, and, and uh, I bumped into him today at an event here at the church, and he said, remember, John, my rule. He's Dr. M.D. Anderson, member of our church, and he said, the healthiest people, I've noticed, are those Who live balanced lives, who take a 24 hour day and divide it in thirds, and they spend eight hours working, eight hours at leisure or with their family, and then eight hours sleeping at night. He said, I've noticed when people get out of balance, instead of working eight hours, they're working 10 and 12, and instead of sleeping eight hours, they're sleeping four and six. He said, I've noticed when people do that long enough, they begin to have problems with their health. They begin to have issues that they probably or they might not otherwise have. And so, Certainly, I'm not saying that we, should never, that we shouldn't have a hobby. I think we should. Or that we shouldn't watch TV. I think we should. Or that we should boycott sports. I think that would be a mistake to, uh, to do that. Unless it's the Rockets when they missed 27 straight three-pointers the other night. But it was a great season for them nonetheless. But boy, that was painful to watch that. They just missed it. But it was a great season nonetheless. But that was a bad end, I guess, to that season. But the point is, if you take something that could be a healthy diversion, and you let that diversion go too far, that diversion will become a distraction. And something that was intended to relax your mind and to lift your spirits and to rejuvenate you will become something now that will distract you from God. And now instead of meditating on the things of God and things like that, you find yourself thinking Too much about the rockets, or too much about your hobby, or too much about should you buy that second house, or too much about the next trip, or too much about the stocks, or the bonds, or the mutual funds. None of those things are bad, but if something that could be a healthy diversion is out of balance, it will become a distraction, and if you don't deal with it at the distraction level, it will ultimately result in your destruction. Now, you ought to think about those three words. A diversion can turn into a distraction, and a distraction can ultimately turn into your destruction if you're not careful. You see, those things that I've just mentioned are good things, and the Scripture says that God has given us all things to enjoy. And I enjoyed the Rockets Golden State Series. I'm planning on enjoying the Cleveland and Golden State Series. I enjoy sports. I have hobbies. I have things that I like to do. But if I allow any of those things to take too much of my mental energy and too much of my time, they become a distraction to me. And I can't deal with it. I just get out. Of balance. I I know I've told this illustration several times, so I apologize for being repetitive, but it just fits this point. How several years ago I had, I was born, of course, in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm a very sentimental person, and so anything that has to do with Houston or Pasadena, I love it. Anything that has to do with Atlanta, Georgia, I love it because I have roots here and I have roots there. And so a few years ago I said, Well, what I'm gonna do to show my love for Atlanta. I'm going to buy me some Coca-Cola stock, because Coca-Cola is headquartered in Atlanta. And I I don't even drink Coke, but I thought, you know, I like the red and white, I like the designs, and I thought it would be, which was one of the dumbest things, It's it's a dumb reason to buy stock, because you, you know, I've washed my hair with Johnson & Johnson, I'm going to buy Johnson & Johnson, I like Cheerios, I'll buy General Mills, I don't think that's the way you're supposed to do it, but anyway, that's the way I did it. And I had this Coca-Cola stock, not a lot of it, because I don't have a, a lot to buy something with. But I took a little bit of money, and I bought a little bit of stock. And I found that every day, I was waking up with Coca-Cola on my mind. And throughout the day, I was checking on my Coca-Cola stock. And when, I, when the stock market closed, I would check on it. And I, was think, and I thought, you know, I'm thinking about Coca-Cola when I ought to be thinking about God. And when I'll be thinking about the next sermon, or when I ought to be thinking about the rockets or something that wouldn't have this grip on me. And again, I don't have, there's nothing wrong with buying Coca Cola stock unless it does to you what it did to me. Now, if it does to you what it did to me, you ought to sell that stuff and buy some Pepsi or something else and see if you can be freed out from it. I remember one day, I said to myself, I can't, I, this isn't of God. This is not right for me to do this. And so I sold the stock and the next morning when i woke up i woke up extra early the next morning and i felt did you think i'm exa- i felt free in my spirit and in my mind i felt like i don't care if anybody ever drinks another coca-cola i don't care i'm not i'm not bond- i'm not in bondage to that and i can remember i jumped out of bed and i went for an early morning workout and the whole time i was in the gym i just felt like i've got my mind back Because I'm no longer distracted thinking about something like that. I can remember when I was in seminary and uh, had less money then than I did when I bought the Coke stock, but I had a friend who said to me, John, you ought to buy some Walmart stock. And I bought it, and I had the same problem in seminary that I had with the Coke, with that Walmart stock. Every day I'd get up and read the paper and check it and all this, and finally I sold that. So maybe God doesn't want me buying stocks, any individual stock. I've tried it twice. And I've been unsuccessful both times. Now, you may can do that, and it doesn't do anything to you. But I'm telling you what it did for me. It put me in mental and emotional bondage because I was thinking about stocks when I should have been thinking about something else. You see, all those things that I've mentioned, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, vacation, shopping, houses, television, uh, social media, talking on the phone to your friends all these things are good in their place. But if they become a distraction to you, it's not good at all. And so anything could be bad if you get it out of balance. You you, uh, you don't want to let any of those things or things like that play too big of a role in your life. I like to think of those things as sandcastles. You know, if you're out on the beach and uh, here at, we're beginning the summer. If you go down to Galveston or any other beach and you build your kids build a big old pretty sandcastle, it looks good. Sandcastles are beautiful until the tide comes in. But when the tide comes in, what does it do? Well, it takes that sandcastle right back out to sea with it. I think a lot of these things that we allow. I think that's what Paul was saying to Timothy. He was saying, Timothy, he was saying, you are a soldier in God's army. Be a good soldier. And in order to be a good soldier, you're going to have to watch. There are going to be some things in your life that you're not going to be able to get entangled with because they will be a distraction to you. And so I would never make a list for you of, you know, don't do this. Or I'm saying you have to work all those things out with God. What might distract me might not distract you. What might distract you might not be a problem at all for me. But anything that, that takes a place in your life that is too big of a place, and I, again, I think here's how to wage that. Anything that diminishes your love for God isn't good for you. And I think that's what was happening to me with those stocks. They were diminishing my love for God. That can happen in a relationship. I think that's one way you can know whether relationship is, is healthy or unhealthy. Does it increase your love for God? Or does it diminish your love for God? That's how you can know what shows and movies to watch. Uh, Does it increase your love for God? Or does it diminish your love for God? Now, sometimes it doesn't do either. It's just neutral. I mean, if I go home tonight and watch Rocky II or Escape from Alcatraz, I don't love God more or less. I mean, it's it's just a movie. But if any movie diminishes our love for God, or anything or anybody diminishes our love for God, that isn't good for you. Earlier today, our First Baptist Christian Academy had an awards ceremony in the Grace Center for the first through the sixth graders. And uh, I never had been to one of those. I don't think I had ever been, but my little niece was, she's in, finished the second grade. And so she had asked me a few days ago to come to this awards ceremony. And so I did. And while there, they're giving all these kids... I mean, it was a very well-organized thing. And kids are getting awards based on perfect attendance or based on how many good things they've done. It was was very, very impressive. The the grades that they made, their Christ-like character and all these things. And at the very end, they had this thing called the Golden Star Award. And the Golden Star Award was or is... They had trophies up on the platform... And Mr. Cullins, Freddie Cullins, the leader of the school, explained that anybody in the school who memorized the, the cha, who took the challenge and memorized what they had been challenged to memorize would be given a gold star. And what they had challenged all the students in the school this year to memorize was the Sermon on the Mount, the whole thing, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and there were 49 kids in the 1st through the 6th grade. Now you think about that. 49 kids in the 1st through the 6th grade who have memorized the Sermon on the Mount. And so they're calling these kids forward and we they got a, all these kids got a standing ovation for what they had learned. Well anyway, after the presentation was over, there's this little fellow who's in the 4th grade. And he and his family are faithful members of our church. This little boy's name's Christopher. And he had memorized the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And so after the thing was over with, I was talking to his dad, and, and his mom was in the back of the room, and Christopher's right there. I said, Christopher, I am so proud of you for memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. I said, that is absolutely amazing. And I said, i got to be honest with you. I've never memorized the Sermon on the Mount. And when I said that to him, he had the most disappointed look on his face. It was almost like, you're not even worthy to be one of the ministers at this church. And he's like, I said, but I did memorize the Beatitudes. And he was like, Beatitudes, that's the first little part. The Sermon on the Mount is three chapters. But I thought, you know, those kids, those 49 kids who memorized the Sermon on the Mount, they have filled their minds and hearts with something that the tide can't take out. They have filled their minds and they have filled their young hearts with the Word of God. And that's what I'm saying. You see, if those kids... We were distracted by whatever might distract a first through sixth grader. There's no way that they could have learned three chapters out of the Bible in addition to all of their other classwork. But they they did that. And so I encourage you not to be distracted and just as you contemplate a purchase, as you contemplate a commitment, as you contemplate a hobby. You know, as you think about, certainly if it's something that's going to be an ongoing commitment. Sometimes I'll get invited, to, you know, maybe to do something and, and, uh, or to be a part of something. And I always say, now, how often does this meet? Or what's this going to be like? And if they say, well, we're going to meet, you know, once a week, every Thursday night at 6. Or we're going to meet once a month. Well, I just pretty much know I can't do it because I, in time it would, be, it would be a distraction to me. I'll give you some good advice tonight. The advice is not new, but the, uh, the way that my dad and I heard this advice, is it, it is new, and at least to me it's interesting. When Bill Gaither and his Gaither vocal band and all those singers were at our church two years ago, um, we had some time to talk to him after the performance, and at that time he was 80 years old and, and as you saw him again this year at 81, now he's 82, he is, his mind is clear, he's energetic, he's not burnt out or anything. And, we, and I just was asking him some questions uh, about how he stays fresh. He didn't look tired or anything. I said, how do you stay so fresh? And he said, uh, well, he said, I've, I've learned something in my life. And then he made a little joke, you know, if you get... To be my age, you've learned a lot of things. or You better be learning a lot of things. And he said, I've learned something. He said, one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned is that in life, if you add something to your plate, you have to take something off of your plate. Because here you are in life. Now, think about your own life. You've got your family. You've got your job. you've You've got your church. You have whatever your civic responsibility. You have whatever you have going on you have extended family, if you're married, you have your in-laws, you have, you know, you just have these, these, these responsibilities. If you just keep adding things to your plate and you don't take some things off of your plate, eventually your plate runneth over, right? Or your plate will break And you can't do it anymore. And so I thought, well, here's a man in his 80s serving God with the energy of a man in his 30s or 40s. And here's one of the reasons why. And so what I'm saying to you tonight, and again, I think this is what Paul was saying to Timothy. Don't entangle yourself. Don't get involved with too much. Don't do more than you can do. I read in a book several months ago a a, a statement that I thought was so good And the author said this. It was a female author, and she said this. She said, if the devil can't get you to do nothing for God, he will try to get you to do too much for God. Did you know you can even do too much in the name of God? It's possible for me to preach too much. And those of you who hear me often would say amen to that. It's very possible for you. It's possible for me to... uh, to, And and for you, whatever your responsibilities are, even if it's good things, even if it's the Lord's work, uh, just because there's an opportunity out there and just because you might could be a blessing and you might could help somebody, that doesn't mean that God wants you to do it because it may be you putting so much on your plate that you can't handle it. Remember this, Adrian Rogers said said it this way one time, God will never give you more to do in a given day than you can do gracefully. God will never give you more to do in a given day than you can do gracefully. And so in the course of your day, if you're feeling stressed out and overwhelmed, just know this, You are doing something, more than likely, you are doing something that God never intended you to do, or maybe you were doing something over here that God never intended you to do, and it got you tired, and now when you're trying to do what God did intend for you to do, you don't have any energy left. So I feel like I've overstated this point or spent too much time on it, but the point I'm trying to make is don't let yourself get distracted and don't let yourself get overloaded. Live a balanced life. Remember the rule of three from our doctor at MD Anderson. Uh, Eight hours to work, eight hours with the family or leisure or meals or those type things, working, exercising, reading, paying your bills, washing your clothes, and then eight hours at night to sleep. And I think you'll be better off. And I think you'll be more healthy over the long run. And then number three... This is so very important. Don't forget to pray. What have I said tonight? If we're going to be good soldiers, we don't retreat when the going gets tough. We don't get distracted or entangled with too many things down here on this earth. And number three, don't forget to pray. Now, turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want us to end the sermon tonight by looking beginning in verse number 10. I want you to just follow along while I read to you verses 10 through 20. These are the verses that we've been looking at really since January as we've thought about spiritual warfare. And when we get to verse 18, you'll notice that after Paul talks about the armor of God and how we're supposed to stand and all so on like that, he talks about prayer And so I want us tonight to conclude our study by thinking about not only do we need to put on the armor of God, but we need to commit everything that we do to prayer. And something else I would say to you tonight, as you contemplate a movie to watch or relationship to get involved in or a purchase, a house to buy, a stock to buy, a trip to take, if you can't ask God's blessings on that endeavor, don't do it. I can assure you, if you can't ask God's blessings, it is not God's will. And so we think about praying for God to bless us and to help us. But let's read these verses. Beginning in verse 10, you just follow along. Paul said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, here's our thought on prayer, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying, my devotion to Christ, my faith in Christ, my service to Christ has resulted in my imprisonment. What was he really saying? He was saying, in the heat of the battle, I didn't retreat. I didn't turn and run. I didn't renounce my faith. I ran to the battle, not from the battle. And here he is in jail. But he was not entangled or distracted by things. His focus was on the Lord. But he closes it by saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication. So I would encourage you, in addition to this armor of God, in, a tr- in addition to not retreating, not getting distracted or entangled with too many things, I would encourage you tonight, don't forget to pray. Commit everything to the Lord. Somebody has said that we should pray as though everything depends on God, and we should work as though everything depends on God on Jesus. I'll tell you a good prayer. I heard a pastor say this years ago of himself and I've adapted it to me. A good prayer, as you think about being a good soldier in God's army, is to wake up in the morning and say this to the Lord. Say, General Jesus, private, and you just put your name right there. I would say, General Jesus, Private John, reporting for duty. This is the day that you have made, Lord. Guide me, lead me, And help me today to be a good soldier in your army. Amen. Father, this is our prayer that we would would be soldiers that make a difference in this battle. That we would be soldiers who stay in the fight. Who seek to live lives that are honorable and that are pleasing to you. People of faith, God. People of courage. And people, God, whose life have that godly balance to them. With heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. If you were rating yourself. If you were just giving yourself a grade. A, B, C, D, or F. How are you doing right now as a soldier in God's army? You say, well John, what is the criteria for giving myself a grade? Well, let's just take the three things we've talked about tonight. In the heat of the battle, do you normally run to God or from God? Do you pray more or pray less? Do you read the Bible more or do you read the Bible less? Do you come to church more or do you come to church less? What do you do when the battle heats up? That'll be one way to, uh, to grade yourself. How about this? Are you in overly entangled in the things of the world? Have good things become a distraction in your life? Are you like I was with that Coca-Cola and that Walmart stock? You're thinking about that when you ought to be thinking about something else. And then how about your prayer life? Do you begin each day with God on your mind? Do you go through the day with God on your mind? Do you end the day with God on your mind? When you face a challenge, do you think, now, God, you've allowed this. How are we going to face it? Or do you just immediately get in the flesh and start trying to fix things yourself? I'm not saying these are the only ways we can grade ourselves, but just with those three things tonight, would you give yourself an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F? Now, I'm going to tell you, since you're at church on a Wednesday night, there's no way I'm going to let you give yourself an F. I'm not going to let you give yourself a D. So let's just narrow it down, A, B, or C. And whatever grades you give yourself, that's somewhat arbitrary, and most of us tend to be a little harder on ourselves probably than we should. But would you just pray this simple prayer tonight to God? Would you say, God, thank you that I'm a soldier in your army. God, in the days ahead, as we face the summer, a new season, God, help me to be a better soldier this summer, even than I was this spring. Now, some tonight, you're not in God's army yet because you've never been saved. We saw a young lady at the beginning of the service. She was baptized. Why was she baptized? Because she got saved a couple of weeks ago. Some of you tonight need to get saved. And you can then become not only part of God's army, but part of God's family. And so tonight, if you're not 100% sure that Jesus is living in your heart, would you just pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, tonight I need to be saved. God, I've been out here in some kind of battle, but it's not even your battle. It's my own battle. God, I want to be in your army and in your family. And so I ask you tonight to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Thank you that you'll never leave.